invite you to turn in your Bibles with me this morning into the Old Testament, and we will be looking at the book of 2 Samuel, the 22nd chapter. So 2 Samuel, chapter 22. Last week we started the close of the book, which is chapters 21 through 24 of 2 Samuel. And at first glance, one may question what the connection is between chapters 21 through 24 and the rest of the book. But they are here with purpose. Our author of the book includes these chapters here to complete his portrait of David. He wants us to see David. Remember, one of the themes that runs through both First and Second Samuel is the question, who is qualified to sit on the throne? Who is qualified to be Israel's king? We certainly saw it's not Saul. Saul was looking out for himself. He was more man-centered than God-centered. When we come to David's life, we see one, for the most part, who has been seeking the Lord, depending on the Lord. And David, as recorded for us, as he looks back over his life and his dependence on the Lord and how the Lord has provided for him, comes to the words here of Second Samuel chapter 22, where he is going to praise the Lord. He's going to praise the Lord for the fact that the Lord has always provided for him, that he has always been faithful to him, that the Lord has always delivered David when he called out for the Lord's help. He's recounting how God has delivered him. I am going to read the chapter in its entirety. You can follow along in your copy of the word. It's a bit long, but we will make it. So, Second Samuel chapter 22. And David spoke the words of this song to the Lord in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said... The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, in the horn of my salvation, and my refuge. My Savior, you saved me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I am saved from my enemies. For the ways of Death encompass me. The torrents of destruction overwhelm me. The cords of Shoal surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord. Yes, I cried to my God. And from his temple, he heard my voice. And my cry for help came into his ears. Then the earth shook and quaked. The foundations of heaven were trembling and were shaken because he was angry. 
Smoke went up out of his nostrils, fire from his mouth devoured, coals were kindled by it. He bowed the heavens also and came down in thick darkness under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew, and he appeared on the wings of the wind. He made darkness canopies around him, a mass of waters, thick clouds of the sky. From the brightness before him, coals of fire were kindled. The Lord thundered from heaven. The Most High uttered his voice. He sent out arrows and scattered them, lightning and routed them. Then the channels of the sea appeared. The foundations of the world were laid bare by the rebuke of the Lord at the blast of the breath of his nostrils. He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. They comforted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support. He also brought me forth into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness. According to the cleanness of my hands, he has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord, have not acted wickedly against my God. For all his ordinances were before me, and as for his statutes, I did not depart from them. I was also blameless before toward him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to my cleanness before his eyes. With the kind, you show yourself kind. With the blameless, you show yourself blameless. With the pure, you show yourself pure. With the perverted, you show yourself astute. And you save an afflicted people, but your eyes are on the haughty whom you abase. For you are a lamp, O Lord, and the Lord illuminates my darkness. For by you I can run upon a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is blameless. The word of the Lord's tested. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? Who is a rock besides our God? God is my strong fortress. He tests the blameless in his way. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me on high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. And your help makes me great. You enlarge my steps under me, and my feet have not slipped. I pursue my enemies and destroy them, and I did not turn back until they were consumed. And I have devoured them and shattered them so that they did not rise. And they fell under my feet. For you have girded me with strength for battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also made my enemies turn their backs to me, and I destroyed those who hated me. They looked, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but he did not answer them. Then I pulverized them as the dust of the earth. I crushed them as the mire of the streets. You have also delivered me from the contentions of my people. You've kept me as head of the nations, a people whom I have not known serve me. Foreigners pretend obedience to me, and as soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners lose heart and come trembling out of their fortresses. The Lord lives. And blessed be my rock, and exalted be God, the rock of my salvation, the God who executes vengeance for me and brings down people under me, who also brings me out from my enemies. You even lift me above those who rise up against me. You rescue me from violent men. 
Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the nations. I will sing praises to your name. He is a tower of deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Chapter 22. Here David is praising God by recounting how the Lord has answered his prayer and delivered him. One of my favorite professors at Dallas Theological Seminary was a man named Alan Ross. Dr. Ross is no longer at Dallas Seminary, but he still is a prolific writer and teaches at another institution. Ross wrote this about these words of 2 Samuel 22. If nothing else, this psalm is a reminder to all that we owe everlasting praise to the Lord our God. That praise should include the rehearsing of God's history of answering prayers and delivering his people, not just in the history of faith, but in the lifetime of the believer. This past week, uh, one of our church family Larry Sikora saw his father to go be with Jesus. His father passed away. I had the privilege of doing the funeral this past Friday. And as I sat with Larry and his brother talking about the upcoming service, his brother relayed to me an account of just two weeks prior to their father's passing. His father had been riddled with dementia, uh, had to go to a nursing facility recently, had been ripped from everything that he knew. And in all of the turmoil of all of the changes, just two weeks prior to his death, his dad turned to his son and said, We need to praise the Lord more. I thought that's that's a pretty interesting statement. Here's a man at the end of his life, a very quiet man, didn't say much. And even in the state of advanced dementia in which he was, some of the very last words that he passed on to his sons was, we need to praise the Lord more. And here in 2 Samuel 22, even though this chapter covers David's entire life, it's placed here in the historical record toward the end of David's life. As if to say, David is putting his arm around his readers and is saying, we need to praise the Lord more. And that's really what this section is about. It's about a man who walked pretty much throughout his life depending on the Lord. It's about a man that has found time after time after time that when he is called out to God, God has delivered him. He has 
helped him. And so he's praising God. You know, the interesting thing about praise is that while praise is an overflowing of an individual believer's heart, as we see praise recorded for us in the Scripture, in the Bible, it is a communal event, meaning praise happens within community. It's no accident that this song or this psalm here contained in 2 Samuel 22 is also found in Israel's hymn book in Psalm chapter 18 or Psalm number 18. And so Psalm 18 is almost identical to this song here in 2 Samuel chapter 22. Why? Well, one of the reasons is that David intended for these words to be a source of community praise. We were joking as a pastoral staff this past week. I, one of my sons went to see his favorite band in Minneapolis last night, the Avit Brothers. And I find it strange because this is the second time in one summer that that son traveled to hear the Avid Brothers. I was like, why don't you just listen to them on Spotify? It's free. But the other guys on staff said, no, you're missing the point that the fun part is being there with all these other people that also like the Avid Brothers. That There's just something special about being there, enjoying community, with those all focused on this one band. And what David is doing here is calling the community of believers together to praise God more, to think about His faithfulness, to think about who He is, and how time after time after time Not only in the life of the community of believers, but in the individual believer's life. He has delivered us. He has helped us. He's come to our aid. He has provided for us time after time after time. And that's what this chapter is about. As these as this song unfolds, we're going to look at it in three sections. The first of which is verses 1 through 4, where we actually see that as believers, we owe our praise to God. We owe it to Him. We owe our praise to God because He protects us and delivers us when we call on Him. He's our protector He is our deliverer. And in the first four verses, we see two key words that actually provide a theme all the way through the entire chapter. The first word is the word rock. And the second word is the word save or deliver. Notice with me verse 2. David writes this. The Lord is my Rock. Years ago, along Boyson Road, my wife and I, uh, prior from 1995 to 2002, 
lived off of Boyson Road years ago. On a morning, a huge rock appeared on the south side of Boyson Road. Just out in the middle of a field. It's just there. It wasn't there yesterday. It's there today. And everybody who lived in that area kept, where did the rock come from? That I mean, it's huge. This is not a rock. This is a gigantuan boulder. Where did it come from? It just appeared. It's not like a guy could say, hey, I think I'm going to play a joke and drop a rock off. I mean, this is a rock. It's immovable. It's, it's, it's just impenetrable. It's a huge rock. And I think David here is saying, that's my God. He is a rock. He's my anchor. He's my fortress. He is my strong tower into which I can run when my adversaries are trying to get me. I, he is the only stable thing I can always count on in my life. He is my rock. He's the strongest one to whom I can turn. He is my rock. I base my life on Him. He never changes. He is my rock. My fortress. My deliverer. Verse 3. My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. I had a great uncle that used to raise Hereford bulls. As a little kid, I can remember walking in amongst those big Hereford bulls. And my eyes always focused on one thing, the horns. Oh man, those horns were scary. Why? Because the horn is the strength of that animal. It's the weapon of that animal. It is what will destroy you. It's the horn. And here David says, the God is the power. His God is his the power of his salvation. It's the horn of his salvation. God is his rock. He then goes on to say in verse 3, He saved me. In fact, He's saved me and saved me and saved me. He's my deliverer. Every time I have called out to Him, expressing my dependence on Him, He's been there. Look with me at verse 4. I call upon the Lord, who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Why is David able to say that the Lord is worthy to be praised when he calls on him? It's because the Lord always delivers when David calls. The Lord always is there. When David said he is worthy to be praised, he's saying he is praiseworthy because every time I call on him, he has delivered me. All throughout my life, this situation, this situation, this situation, this situation, he's always called. And he's always been delivered. Because God always delivers him. Every time. Every time. 
And so here David begins this psalm by saying, we owe him our praise. He is worthy of our praise. This week I opened up my computer and I went on to Facebook and I found the Facebook page for L.L. Bean, the company based in Maine that makes a lot of clothing. And I hit like on that page. And then I went even further and I did a little post on the L.L. Bean website because I was just so thankful for them. You see, I had had a shirt that I bought last summer and it developed a hole right in the middle of the material. And I needed to return it. And L.L. Bean always says, you will be 100% satisfied with our product. Now, I hate returns. This may be hard for you to fathom, but before I got married, I was scared to death to even call a store and say, how late are you open tonight? That was just threatening to me. And I still hate returns. If my wife has to return something to a store, I will say, you just do it. I don't want to know when you go. I don't want to know any details. Just do it and get it over with. I don't even want to know about any returns. If we ever have a return, I don't want to hear about it. I just don't like returns. Well, here's L.L. Bean. I don't even have to talk to anybody. I can just take the little return stamp that came in the box with the shirt and stick it on a package and mail it back to them at their cost. And then a few days later, here's a new shirt. I said, this is great. They actually do what they say they'll do, which is also amazing in today's world. And so I was all excited and I just had to tell somebody how great L.L. Bean is. Now, that's kind of ludicrous, isn't it? It's a shirt. How much more should we be excited about our God, our rock, who delivers us every time we call upon him and ask for his help? We may not always recognize his hand. We may question his timing or how he delivers, but he is always faithful to do his best in the lives of his children. Always. And David here is saying, he's my rock. He is my deliverer. I owe him my praise. Keep your finger in Second Samuel, if you will, and turn with me over to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And in Matthew chapter 7, we find here in verse 7. Just the words of Jesus reminding us of our need to just depend on him, to call on the Lord. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, when his son asks for a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give what's good to those who ask him? And all of us who are parents and grandparents here, we can we can identify with that. Because we want to give 
good things to our children. It may not always be what our children ask, that for which our children ask. It, that, what they, that for which they ask may not be good for them. But we want to do good things for our children. And Jesus' point is, if, if that's our heart as a sinful parent, how much more does our Heavenly Father want to do good things for us? Here David says, every time I call on him, he's always been faithful to me. He's always provided. He has always delivered. Therefore, I owe him my praise. He's my rock. He is my deliverer. Well, in verses 5 through 30, David really wants to drive home this point of the fact that God deserves our praise. And so he takes these verses and just gives some examples, not of a specific time, but a series of times in his life where he is needed to be delivered. And his point is this. God has always delivered. He always delivers those who put their faith, their dependence... In him. In verses 5 and 6, David says, I was in a hopeless situation. I thought I was going to die. And if we look back over first and second Samuel, we can see, yes, he has been in hopeless situations. Think about the fact that his father-in-law, Saul, trying to kill him more than one time. Now, I have a father-in-law. I know there are times when my father-in-law has not been very happy with me, but he's never tried to kill me. Maybe thought about it, but he's never actually tried. But here, we know that King Saul tried to kill David a couple of times. David's own son wanted him dead. The followers of Saul wanted him dead. So David describes it here like being caught by a, 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 a rip current or a rip tide in the, in, the, in the sea or the ocean. Just getting sucked under the water with no hope. He says in verse 5, the waves of death encompass me. The torrents of destruction overwhelm me. The cords of Shaol surrounded me. The snares of death confronted me. Meaning, I didn't have any hope. I, I just had no hope. I thought I was going to die. And then God broke through. In verses 7 through 20, David uses this picture of God as if he was an earthquake, just quaking the mountains and his anger over how David was being treated. And then God showing up in the power of a violent thunderstorm and the lightning coming from the heavens All of those pictures, David is saying, God broke through because he cared about me. Isn't it phenomenal that God will actually intervene on behalf of one person? Just like God intervenes and breaks through for you when you need him and express your dependence on him. And he breaks through. And helps and delivers me when I tell him I need him. 
and express my dependence on him. That's what David's praising the Lord for. He says, he broke through. He helped me. In fact, look at verse 18. He delivered me from my strong enemy, from those who hated me, for they were too strong for me. It was hopeless in, in man's, from man's perspective. David is saying, I was in a tight spot. And then in verse 20, he says, God brought me out. He brought me forth into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. In verses 21 through 30, David isn't saying that God rescued him because he was such a good person. He wasn't trying to say that that God was in relationship to him because he deserved it or he was without sin. David was very much aware of his sin in chapters recorded for us in chapters 10 and 11. He knew he had sinned against God. He knew he was still suffering for it. But he also knew that God forgave him when he confessed his sin. And he also knew that for the vast amount of his life, his heart's desire was to be obedient to the Lord to walk before the Lord in a way that would be pleasing to him. And David's point in verses 21 through 30 is that when we walk in obedience, God blesses us. When we disobey, we experience his discipline. David is saying in verses 5 through 30, God always delivers those who put their faith in him, who know they need him. I've shared this account with you before, but uh, ever since my wife and I started having children, we have always made treks to Chicago. I remember the first big city I probably ever remember going to was New York City, and New York City is just another world, but Chicago is kind of like um, a, a down-home big city. I just like Chicago. I like the hustle and bustle. I wouldn't want to live downtown, but I sure enjoy visiting once in a while. Getting on the L and going to some of the best restaurants imaginable and I just enjoy it. So ever since we had children, we made, we've made treks to Chicago. Even when we lived up in rural North Dakota, we still went to Chicago. I can remember with my little son Grant when he was just about 18 months, maybe 24 months old, taking him to the Shed's Aquarium, so excited to show him the shark swimming over his head, showing him all these fish, and then all he would do is grin at his own reflection in the glass. It was like kind of disheartening. Well, one of our trips to Chicago, we had all three boys with us at that point, and they were about middle grade school down to about four. And we were staying at the Holiday Inn by the Merchandise Mart. And one of the other reasons why I like going to Chicago is I can usually get a room for about 50 bucks on Priceline. So we're traveling fun, but we're traveling on the cheap. So I had my whole family. We're at the Holiday Inn down by the Merchandise Mart, right along Wacker there. And uh, we're on the top of the hotel, like floor 16, 17, something like that. We're getting ready to leave for the day, excited. We're all on the elevator, and just as the elevator doors are closing, 
my little four-year-old, the one who's like, hey, where's the party, decides to be funny and jumps off the elevator. And the doors didn't stop. They just closed. And we left. And here's my four-year-old, downtown Chicago, up about floor 16, 17. And wouldn't you know it, we kept having to stop at floor 12 and floor 9 and floor 7. And people kept getting on and on. And we finally got to the bottom. And then we had to stop here and we had to stop here. And it seemed like an eternity till we finally got back up to like floor 16. And the doors opened. And there's my little four-year-old who at that point recognized that he needed his dad. What parent here this morning, when our child needs us and knows that they need us, what parent here this morning wouldn't do everything in your power and beyond your ability to come help that child? How much more does our Heavenly Father who loves us beyond imagine, how much more does He deliver those who call on Him? How much more does He want to do good things for His children? Sometimes, again, it's not in our timing. Sometimes it's beyond our Ability to comprehend how and why he does it, but he does it. And if we get back far enough and, and, and can look far enough down the road, we can see, well, he was helping me all along. I was talking with a businessman recently who, who lost his largest account and he thought, I don't know what I'm going to do. Until not long after that, God brought an account that was so large that he would have never considered it had he not lost his largest account. You see, he called out to God. God delivered him. Didn't always understand why, but God knew. And here David is saying, God always delivers. Always. When we depend on him. I want us to read Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17 is a chapter about some guys in verse 11 who really were in a hopeless situation. They were lepers. I mean, can't think of a much worse spot than to live in the ancient Near East as a leper. That disease that would cause those in the community to push you off to the side and you couldn't even have relationships without with people that didn't have leprosy. Verse 11 says, While he was on his way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him and they raised their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go. Show yourselves to the priest. As they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. He was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give God glory except the foreigner? 
And he said to him, stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. You see, this one man saw that when God broke through and delivered him, his first response should be praise. Well, David ends this psalm the same way he begins it in verses 31 through 51. Remember, in verses 1 through 4, he said, We owe God our praise. He is always faithful to to deliver us. Now as we come to verses 31 through 51 again, David says, God deserves our praise. We owe it to Him. We owe it to Him because of who He is. We owe it to Him because of what He's done for us. And we owe it to Him because how He has provided for His anointed one. And we'll see that right at the end. The first thing David does is calls us to praise because of who God is. Remember, when we praise God, God becomes the subject of the sentence. We are declaring something about God. Verses 33 through 37, notice that God's the subject of every sentence. God is my strong fortress. He sets the blameless in his way. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets me on high places. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your help makes me great. You enlarge my steps under me and my feet have not slipped. You see, God's the subject. God, you have done this. God, you are a rock. You are a provider. David is saying God deserves our praise because of who he is and what he's done. In verses 31 all the way to verse 46, David is saying he's helped me in military victory time after time. He's the one who's provided victory. In fact, in verse 32 it says, What other God do we have except the Lord? Who is God except the Lord? Who's a rock besides our God? No one is is as dependable as he. Then in verse 47, he says, you know what? And he's still alive. The Lord lives. David is saying God deserves our praise because of who he is and what he does. And then as he comes to the conclusion of the psalm, he also says he deserves our praise because of how he has Loved the anointed one. Verse 51. He's a tower of deliverance to his king. He shows loving kindness. That special Hebrew word, chesed. Loyal love. He shows loyal love to his anointed. To David and his descendants forever. And right there, we just have that little question mark at the end of Second Samuel here. Remember the underlying theme, one of the underlying themes is who's going to sit on David's throne? Who is qualified to be God's co-regent, to reign as God's representative on the throne? wasn't Saul. It's not even David because 2 Samuel 7 says there's going to be a descendant that sits on the throne forever and ever. And God is going to consider that descendant of David to be his son and David dies. And David says in Psalm 16 that, that the, the anointed one's not going to suffer decay, but David's dead in the grave. Who is this one? Who is this one that David talks about here as receiving God's loyal love? Thus the Father needs to be praised. Who is it? And we go through the whole Old Testament asking that question. 
And then in the 400 years that take place between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, Israel figures out he's still to come. There's an anointed one still to come, a descendant of David who will be considered the Son of God. He is the one that these verses are pointing toward. And then Jesus enters. And Matthew 1 tells us that he's the son of David. And when he's baptized, God speaks from the heavens and said, This is my beloved son. He is the one I love. He is the one that's the recipient of the chesed. I'm well pleased in him. You see, God deserves our praise because of who he is. He deserves our praise because of what he has done. And he deserves our praise because of his loyal love to his anointed one, the Messiah, his son, King Jesus. I love the fall. And one of the reasons why I love the fall is because it brings back so many good memories for me. Memories of me and my dad out in the corn stubble here in central Iowa with my little Savage 410 out looking for those elusive ring-necked Chinese chicken pheasants. Memories of bringing in harvest from our gardens. And, and I just love fall. And I, and I love just the concept of being together in the hunt. Ever since I was a little boy. And I, I love hunting so much I would do it by myself, but that's not where I get my joy. I get my joy from being with other guys. You know, there's nothing more fulfilling than to make fun of your buddy because he just missed a shot. Or for my buddies to make fun of me because I kind of got lost in a 10-acre piece of timber and came out the wrong side. You know, it's those kind of things that... It's just that community. That's that's what's important. And here, David didn't write this psalm just for the fun of it. He's calling us to community. That's why it is so important for us to gather as a church family. And it's not just for me, it's not just for you. Your gathering is important for your brothers and sisters in Christ because we join together. That's why music is so important here at Faith Bible Church. It's not just a tack on. It is that opportunity for us to declare who God is and what he has done. It helps us praise him. That's why so much of our music describes God. You are, Lord. And David here in in 2 Samuel 22 and in Psalm 18 is calling us, saying, we have an obligation of praise. We owe God our praise because he protects us. He delivers us because of his loyal love. Not only for us, but his loyal love that he's demonstrated to King Jesus. Father, I thank you for these verses. For in them we are reminded of the same thing that I was reminded of this week, that we don't praise the Lord enough. Help us as we go through this week
to view this week through the lens of praise. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.